And now remain standing for a reading of God's Word. Beloved, now open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. We'll continue in our sermon series, the book of Matthew. If you're visiting, uh, our approach uh, to worship and sermons is to select a book of the Bible. Rather, the elders in session will, will uh, help the pastors uh, determine what might be best for the congregation. We'll select a book and we'll go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we read it carefully and we explain what we read. Hopefully we'll give uh, some, uh, some advice by way of application, what this means, what you should believe, and what you might uh, do by way of obedience. And our text will be Matthew 21 in verses 23 through 27. And here now, the word of our God. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, what, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you why, by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Beloved, all flesh is as grass, its beauty is as the flower of the field. The grass withers and its flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And this is the word that was just read to you by God's grace. It will be preached. Please have a seat. We're in the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And as I've noted before in previous uh, preachings, things are accelerating. Things are being revealed that have been kept back, namely his title, his real identity, it's almost as if a curtain was being withdrawn, pulled back, and now he is being acclaimed as that king that was to visit Jerusalem, bringing salvation, the triumphal entry. Uh, this cha 21st chapter of Matthew uh, is exceedingly important uh, because it sets up not only the, uh, the sufferings that Jesus will endure in the hands of his enemies, the very chief priests, and elders of Israel, uh, but also Jesus expressed foreknowledge and his willingness to enter into that suffering for the sake of his people and again triumph uh, to be exalted into the head of his kingdom. So it's ex extremely important, extremely important chapter. And we've already seen a couple of things. I mentioned that Jesus' triumphal entry there on the, uh, the, mounted, the mounted cult, the donkey, follow a donkey, that, that, that was a very symbolic act. It was prophesied from Zechariah 14. And we've also mentioned that his entering into the temple area, not the temple proper of the building, but the, the outer courts and all of that, uh, in cleansing and purging the temple from malpractice in its outer courts, that was also a symbolic act uh, because that is the mission of Christ always to, to have a pure people before the Lord, a sanctified people, a holy priesthood, and things had gone very, very wrong, and he was correcting 
uh, <laughs> Jerusalem in a very, very strident way. Uh, he was toppling tables. Uh, and he uh, <clears throat> uh, was really drawing a lot of attention to himself at that point. And, of course, that is a public disturbance. Now, my friends, I regard you all have good opinions about religion, and, uh, and I trust you're reading your Bibles and you have a sound mind and everything Christ, Christian. However, if every one, every one of you saw a problem in the church, and of course all churches have problems, but if anyone saw something that was significant and it bothered you, uh, you would not have the audacity, I hope, <laughs> to rise up screaming and to clear the place uh, because uh, you would denounce some malpractice, some malfeasance, something here which is not orderly, not pleasing to God, not ordained in his scripture. And, uh, <clears throat> well, I, I would be shocked uh, if I saw that. Many of you would, would be shocked as well. But the question to be asked is, well, on what grounds, by what authority? What are your credentials uh, how do we know that you are speaking the truth? Uh, after all, we all have opinions of what the Bible teaches. And uh, what is of more value than the consensus opinion about, uh, of, in the hands of the most studied men, the most sanctified men, the most prayerful men uh, that the church has? Well, this is the same thing that was going on in Jesus' day. Now, Jesus did a, an outrageous thing, but a necessary thing and purging the temple. The question must be asked, well, who gave him that authority? Because it seemed like all of the leadership was against him. And so this is a proper question and one that really needs to be asked. That's the context, my friends, of this, these few verses here, starting with verse 23. The teaching here is that no man... No one, uh, no human whatsoever conferred ministerial authority upon Jesus. No, no, no man conferred ministerial authority upon Jesus. Jesus' ministerial authority came directly from God, as did John the Baptist's authority. And if one had received John's message, one would have received Jesus' message. It's the same authority, the same source. Again, we're dealing with two very exceptional people. We're dealing with prophets. We're dealing with John, the greatest prophet of, uh, says Jesus, uh, up, to the, up to his day. A prophet, and of course we're talking about Jesus, the prophet, the one that was always anticipated uh, by Israel in Deuteronomy 18. Uh, he's, uh, the Lord said to Moses, the, the Lord will uh, raise up uh, a prophet such as you, and uh, to him you shall give all obeisance. This is that one. Prophets <clears throat> are like comets. They blaze in for a while, but they don't abide, you see. It is not given to the church to hold prophets in continuum. The apostles and the prophets are the very foundations of the Christian church. Jesus himself being the cornerstone. But now if we have, if we did, if we were able to ascertain a prophet, he would trump all of us because he would have authority directly from God. Uh, I could state in my, at least on my Presbyterian convictions, that's not going to happen <laughs> uh, because the last prophet 
is the Son. The Son of God is the one he last sent into the vineyard. We'll get to that in a minute when you get to the parable of the, of the tenants of the vineyard. But that sets up a tremendous amount of conflict because the ordinary day-by-day, week-by-week services have been in the hands of, of people that have God-giving authority, but they had drifted. They, they had left a, a considerable, vital religion behind. And that's as I preached last week, this is why the Lord Jesus cursed the fig tree, because the fig tree represented Israel. Israel was done. They had broken covenant with God. How so? God in flesh appears, and nobody in Israel recognizes him, or very few recognize him. The leaders don't recognize him, and that's a breaking of the covenant. No man conferred ministerial authority upon Jesus. He's the, he's the prophet. Jesus' ministerial authority came from God, as did John the Baptist. And if one had received John's message, which, of course, the authorities didn't, they did not repent. They thought they had no need of repentance. If they had received John's message and cleared the way for Messiah, they certainly would have received Jesus' message. And that's the one nail that you need to bring home and remember. Just a couple of points to support that proposition. First of all, Jesus' ministry, because he is a prophet, because he is the great prophet, necessarily will evoke great contentions. Even among his own people. Even among God's own covenant people we see in this passage. Uh, and it's just like John, excuse me, John evoked yeah, the ire of Herod. Uh, but just like Paul, after Jesus' resurrection, uh, with carnal Christians in Corinth, there are great strivings, great searchings of heart, and great contentions, like Jeremiah. It, with Judah, then in apostasy, there were great strivings. Jeremiah, the most humble, the most beloved, someone who approaches John as as Jesus' own beloved friend, no closer than Jeremiah, and yet he was a man uh, who had mighty, mighty contests. Among Judah's ordained leaders, uh, these leaders, having uh, studied the word of God, the scriptures of old, they, above everyone, should have received Messiah, promoted Messiah, along with John the Baptist, made a way for Messiah, uh, been preaching repentance, and uh, faith towards God and, and obedience to his every commands. And yet we find a tremendous, tremendous resistance to the Lord Jesus. Jesus was busy, of course, here, as he usually is uh, in the outer courts and maybe the portico there of Solomon. Uh, in the temple area, he was actively engaged in the business that he is best at, in teaching. And the Jews, the Jewish authorities now come and they interrupt him. It's like walking into a class and taking the chalk out of the, the teacher's hand. Here are the chief priests. These chief priests are the religious authority. And they have God-given authority, except with one caveat. And that is the Sadducees have bribed their way into office. Uh, and they uh, <coughs> were mainly in charge uh, in, that, in that department. Uh, and they had become worldly, and they had become politicized, and they had a very good thing going for themselves. Uh, and yet, and yet, the Lord Jesus tells the lepers after he's cleansed them, go present yourself to the priests, as Moses instructs. They were in authority. 
Now, you don't always have to agree with authority, but you must respect their office. Uh, the chief priests had authority. They are to be respected, and the people did respect them. All right? The Jewish authorities interrupt Jesus, the chief priests, and the elders of the people. Now, these elders had civil authority. And so the two arms of the Lord from heaven, the church authorities and the civil authority, now are united, and they're coming, and they are against God and against his Messiah. Does it remind you of any psalms we sing? Well, we'll see about that by the conclusion of our, of our worship. The Jewish authorities demanded an explanation. This was within their right. This is good order. And uh, they ask. And that's what we need to ask whenever we see a minister that appears to have gone rogue. Uh, we don't uh, attack him by slander. We gird up our loins. And if we're men, as these men were men, they go and they ask a simple question. Who had ordained the, all this? For instance, just, <laughs> this is remarkable. They ask the question that Psalm 8 uh, asks, uh, in the same context mentioned in Psalm 8. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the children were singing his praises. Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that's a quote from Psalm 118. But in Psalm 8, it says, it says of the children, who has ordained thy praises above the heavens? From the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you, meaning Jehovah God, have ordained praise. Well, that should have answered the question then of the religious authorities. Then you saw me. Then you saw me. Who had ordained praises to be given to this one mounted humbly on a donkey and coming in and toppling tables and making a mess of things? We got a good thing going here. We struck some efficiencies. We're doing things economically. I, I mean, we, you know, we've got a Gantt chart here and a process description of how to really have a simple temple service. Uh, it's too bad that we took the place of the prayer of the Gentile court. But, you know, uh, we have to serve the people's interests. Who had ordained it? Indeed, who, that's the question. Who has ordained the praise of the Son of God? That is the question. Who gave him the authority to overrule the high priest's temple protocols? That was done by the high priest. And as I preached earlier, fairly recently, that, that change to uh, a mercantile trade at the outer, outer courts of the temple, uh, that was to the convenience of the high priest, and so he ordered it, contrary to what God said, that my house should be a house of prayer. Who gave him the right to exercise civil power in overturning tables and money changers? Oh, man. If, if, try doing this anywhere in the city of Houston. Just go up to any cashier in any, in any uh, retail store and topple over their cash register, see what happens to you. Cut on film, you're going to spend five years in a very unpleasant place. The Jewish authorities then demand an explanation from Jesus. And then rather to refute Jesus' doctrine, okay, you see, this is the thing. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus is, is speaking the truth. He's teaching. He's and if there's any problems with that, they ought to address what he's saying. But instead of refuting Jesus' doctrine, they challenge his ordination. In other words, they're not challenging uh, his wisdom or his knowledge. He's not, they're, not, they're not challenging necessarily even his piety, whether he's sinned. They're, they're asking about a procedural matter. 
look, we've got some rules here. If you, if you want to uh, be uh, respected among the teachers here, a rabbinical uh, ordination, that's, that's what you, you need some credentials. And we're the people who establish those credentials. We give you those credentials. It's a procedural matter with these people in the temple. And that's how they addressed Jesus. The Jews contended that they had not conferred authority to Jesus to minister. That's the point, okay? And they were correct in this. No man had conferred authority to Jesus. That's the whole point. Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, is the one who from heaven, the second person in the whole of the Trinity, has always poured forth his Holy Spirit and anointed every holy prophet in every office in the Old Testament system. Prophets were anointed, priests were anointed, kings were anointed. They were anointed typically through procedure of ceremony. But the real anointing and the giving of the Holy Spirit has always been Jesus. But no one's going to give Jesus the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist knew this. John the Baptist said, look, I, you asked me to baptize you. I have need of being baptized by you, Jesus. John recognized the necessary, the necessary upsetting of the normal order because we have an outstanding man, a unique man among us, the prophet of Israel, the Lord Jesus. Now, do you see then, I, mean, I hope you can see and perceive that Jesus is unlike any person, any teacher. Jesus' ministry is extraordinary beyond description. There's no man that spoke like him. That's why he was continually teaching in the temple. There's no one that did his works of mercy. There's no one that had the courage, even alone, to withstand such great enemies and danger. And will you contend with Jesus' teaching? Will you receive all of the teaching as he has given his word by his Holy Spirit to pen the scripture? Would you receive his every teaching? You know, that's his will for the church, he says. And the last words, one of the last words after he had resurrected, he told his disciples, go, go you therefore to all, all, all nations, teaching them, baptizing them, and teaching them whatsoever, all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Will you contend with Jesus' teaching? Will you attempt to disqualify him? Will you say, well, that was good 2,000 years ago, but, you know, many of these things were cultural. Well, you need to discern a right application, whether these things hold in him for you. And you need to respect the chief authority, the chief spokesman of God. The second point, not only does Jesus' ministry will evoke great contentions, because a prophet is in our midst, and no one is expecting, no one is expecting the prophet. This is something unusual, like a comet coming in, in the middle of the sky. The second point is that great contentions ensue when men do not regard Christ's authority. Yes, there'll be contentions, but what is the root of that? Ordinarily, Jesus uh, or Jewish teachers were authorized, I've mentioned, to teach by the vote of the Jewish consistory of the elders. The Jewish authorities had their ordinary offices uh, in Israel from God and in his word. Uh, we have ordinary offices today. We have teachers, we have 
pastors. Uh, we have elders and deacons, and these are ordained as ordinary offices. And that's why we call it an ordination, because ordinarily, uh, this is how the church goes forward. Okay. Uh, but the Jewish authorities did not recognize Jesus' extraordinary office. He was the prophet, the high priest, and the king, and not, not a, a type as, as we see every other man uh, in, in the Old Testament. In fact, you could say that Moses was a type of king, and he was a type of priest, and he uh, was certainly a prophet. Uh, David also, you might see uh, semblances of, of those three offices. But Jesus was even more exceptional than those. And so their contention about Jesus, not the procedural contention was bogus. Jesus' miracles, his character, the, the teachings, the doctrines that, uh, that, uh, that he uh, held were sufficient credentials. He was in step all the way with the word of God. And the, the common people, they sensed this, even though probably they couldn't put together in words what it was, how this Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, really did qualify to ride in uh, to, to Jerusalem this way and, and, and topple uh, the tables of the, of the money changers and make such a commotion. And yet there was, a, there was a, a, a wide acceptance, a wide acceptance by the, the common people. Jesus then had no formal religion, and this is a tremendous stumbling block. He had no formal training. He didn't belong to any particular school or sect, of which there were many. Uh, people, the Jews, the, the, the teachers and the great ones among them, loved to make disciples of themselves and say, well, I'm of the school of Gamaliel, and no, I'm of the school of this fellow. And they, they distinguished themselves. It's almost like a a uh, type of denominationalism, you might say. All right? But Jesus had, uh, had none of that in mind. <laughs> he, he, he would encompass the whole church. He would encompass the, the, the true Israelite who worshiped God in spirit and truth. He did not need formal uh, religious education. In fact, all wisdom and knowledge was from him. And he gave whatever gifts to the church, whatever teachers, whatever leaders were given to Israel, came from the bosom of his love. And so, of course, he's not going to be held to the same standards. Uh, look, I want, to, I want to bring up an obvious thing. I don't know if you know, but Harvard uh, University has for years decided that they were the standard for all education. And so things roll out according to their, their standard and their authority. Now, you might ask, well, why? <laughs> What's going on there? Why has Harvard... <laughs> <laughs> decided that that's, their, that's their, their place to hold up Veritas, truth, and everybody else just needs to roll in. Oh, well, that's a good question, isn't it? What well, gives them that authority? I don't know. Some very good people have come from there. I'm glad that we have Harvard graduates and they have Harvard teachers. But what I'm saying here, more to the point, is Jesus didn't need any of this stuff. Jesus was anointed from on high. Well, if he's Messiah, of course, that's a very strong hint that that would be the case. Messiah means anointed. And if you're anointed by God with the full anointment, not a typical or measured anointment, not in part, but at the whole, then you are the font of every blessing and the font of every anointing. It's supernatural. It, he, is, he has a divine nature. 
and understanding of Scripture and of God's will. The man will not be faulted. And without rabbinic credentials, however, Jesus and national reforms, look, you can just imagine how very difficult this would be. A very settled, traditional society. Conservative to the hilt. Conservative to the hilt. And this man here is the reformer of reformers. All right. Jesus was all about reform. He was about challenging. He was about challenging anybody that thought that they had qualified to stand before God as righteous. And many teachers were convinced of their own righteousness before God had no need of repentance. Maybe some of you here are convinced that there's nothing that you need to be taught, that you need no more instruction than God's uh, ways, that the law is something of a past. It doesn't pertain to you. You died on the, to the law. There's no use of the law today. And so all you need to do is just sit in your chair and wait for the Holy Spirit somehow to guide you through and step you through the, through the day. But Jesus was all about, all, all about reform. He will challenge the status quo. He will, status, he will challenge the, uh, the uh, majority opinion, very prevalent in Israel. And he will insist on repentance and revival of true godliness, starting, of course, with, with faith in his person. With, yeah. Because if you don't have faith, everything else flies away. Faith, without faith, no man can please God. Without faith, no one receives anything from the Lord by way of Jesus' mediatorship. Jesus is here as the Savior, but to engage in his salvation. We start with faith, and we will need faith. And so we seek God by faith, turning all of us from every wicked way. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're here, you need to ask the Lord and cry out to the Lord that he turn you because sin is, is weakening you. Sin is blinding you. Sin has you in shackles and you will not be able to turn to God and see the glory of his kingdom. But all who are born of God clearly see the kingdom of God and they see the loveliness of God and they hear the voice of the Lord Jesus and they come forward into the kingdom and they will gladly turn from their sin because they see it's destructive. They see it displeases God. They see it's against all. It, it, sin is against everything natural and, and truly against everything that is of any good essence. Sin is a monster. How could anybody want to remain in sin? So we turn and we turn at the least shade of darkness in our thoughts, in our words, in our character, etc., Jesus is all about reform, repentance, and revival of true godliness. Now, the problem here, of course, is that by and by, through about 1,500 years of accretions, that means drip by drip, little steady, little steady drifts, add here, remove this from the Word of God, add more human tradition, the Jewish, the Jewish authorities had by and large departed from God's Word. And as we'll see when we, uh, we've already seen that, the Lord Jesus is about to judge the leadership of that, of that nation as having no true faith. Not at all. N none. Not, not a little bit, but, but none. No true faith. And that's why they have broken covenant. The Jewish authorities then had departed 
And Jesus was the Son of God. He was incarnate in the flesh. He was the very Word of God. But, you know, they had drifted so far and they had been so blinded by sin that they could not see and they would not recognize Jesus' authority. My friends, wherever Christ rules, contentions in his body ends to the end of the earth. And because he himself is our peace, and he is our truth, he is our mediator, and he holds us together in the church in bonds of love. That is not to say that everyone, everyone that comes to church is necessarily obedient to the, the Spirit, nor necessarily in union with Christ in bonds of love. And that's where contingents will always exist in the church. And so what we need to do is, is bow before the, his, his divinity. We need to receive Jesus' authority completely, not in part, but learn from him and believe in what he teaches, believe in him especially, rest in him and obey him out of love, not, not to be saved, because if you believe in him, you're already saved. You already live in him. And now that you are alive, Jesus says, no, right now, that you're alive, do this. Show forth the glories of your God who has regenerated you and set you in his midst as a new creature, given you his Holy Spirit. You are now uh, 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 indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, now, now bear the good fruit of that in his vineyard. If that is a description of your life, my friends, then that you are a confirmed Christian. Uh, but if not, then uh, again, it, the solution is always the same. God is always welcome uh, for sinners to repent. And repentance is not a nasty word. Uh, and repentance is, is granted. It's a gift that we might turn from destruction to the one who is the, the loving creator and our, the true designer of our souls and our humanity. Now, point number three and the last point. Men do not regard Christ's authority. They don't, re, they don't regard Christ's authority because they don't regard God's authority. God and Christ are one. Now, think about that when you hear so many religions in the world. Uh, God, of course, knew that uh, this uh, very supernatural uh, and unusual event of sending the Son would, would need preparation, and that's why John came preaching. He came preaching repentance, and that was... Uh, John was one prophet besides Jesus that was actually anticipated in the Old Testament, one of the, old, one of the last chapters, I think it is the, old, the last chapter of the, of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, that he would send a messenger before the one that was come, making a, a, a way. That's how important John was. God knew that there was some preparation needed for Israel to recover from its sleepy, uh, droning, dreamy state of self-complacency. Because now the kingdom was rolling forth in great brilliance. And the end of all things was here, the final word of God, which was the, the whole hope of Israel was before them. God knew that preparation was needed. John the Baptist was that preparation. He was a prophet. And his office, as I said before, was extraordinary too. John's authority who ordained that guy? Now, he was of the, the tribe of Levi. And so as a priest, you know, maybe somebody wouldn't question his washings so much. Uh, but he was in the wilderness, and he, and he was far removed from any source of instruction. People should have noticed something extraordinary was here with John. 
how did John get to be such a bold man? How is it that he had such insight? And why was not, he not gaining disciples like Gamaliel and so many other Jewish authorities? Why was he pointing to Jesus and saying, he must increase and I must decrease? There's something unusual about this guy, John. Well, sure, he was, he was not ordinary. He was extraordinary. He was a prophet. And John the Baptist was a prophet, and his office was extraordinary, too. John's authority was from God and not from men at all. The religious leaders, they didn't believe John's message either. They didn't repent. It wasn't convenient politically. Oh, well, if we acknowledge these ragamuffins, what will become of our great enterprise? Look, let me put it to you in, in capitalist terms. The kingdom of God was just about to be outsourced, guys. All of the Jewish temple, it was all coming down. No more priesthood. Who needs an altar when Jesus, the Lamb of God, is crucified and sacrificed and the blood avails for one time and all time, a perfect sacrifice remitting the sins of the whole world, okay? The whole of the economy of the Jews was about to be outsourced and not to China or Mexico, guys. It was to be handed over to the Lord Jesus as the exalted Son of God. The religious leaders, it was just they didn't believe. But they were blinded. Great multitudes from Judah believed, and they all came, and they repented, and they waited. They waited to see what would happen at the preaching of Jesus. Now, Jesus' defense of his own authority then, before these leaders that, that asked him good questions, was to consider John's authority. What about John? Can you help me out with John? Whose authority, how did John get his authority to preach there in the Jordan and baptize? But to see, the fear of man keep, kept the Jewish leaders from disputing John's authority. And it's the fear of man, my friends, that will keep ministers from preaching the whole word of God and applying it very nicely to your lives. It's the fear of man that will have elders not correct you when you need correcting. Look, you parents, you correct your children when they're wrong at home. But we got some minds here, and even our own denomination, that say, no, that's wrong. Elders can't correct people. They can't rebuke people. Meaning that elders are not, don't have the authority that mom and pop do at home correcting their children. The mom and pop have more spiritual authority in the church than the baptized child in the church. Who is to, uh, who is to listen to authority? God has set his ordinary authorities in the church. And what keeps those officers from doing and teaching and practicing the whole will of God? Well, what ought to motivate them is not the fear of God's wrath or, or, or even his chastening, but the delight of God. Because every word of God is pure and it, it is delightful and it is consistent. It, 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 it all harmonizes because there's one mind and is expressed in Christ especially. It's very good for us and perfectly applicable to our nature as converted Christians. The fear of man keeps the Jewish leaders from disputing John's authority. Well, the crowds will raise up, or they'll rise up and they'll have our heads. The Jewish leaders then quit their inquisition of Jesus out of cowardice. cowardice. They won't even allow that he won an argument. Cowardice, not principle. 
And wherever principle is tossed out in the name of procedure, you will see the church serve, uh, you will see the church suffer every time. Everybody who wants to make a, a, a show will not always argue principle. They will argue procedure. And by the way, nobody argues at all with Robert's Rules of Order. It's a very strange thing. I don't understand that. My friends, we need not seek this praise of men. We need to seek God's favor in all things, preeminently, consistently, universally. When you have a, an opinion expressed in the church, that's a good question. Who says? If someone says, well, you need to be here, or you need to do this, or you need to not do that, he said, please show me the book, the, the chapter, and the verses. I gladly comply with you. And also, who else believes this? Who else believes in the church? Or in the, in the, in the consensus of the church, the best minds coming together and putting together what we think the Bible says. We're trying, to, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out what the Bible says. Let's get our heads together and, and make an outline. Who else thinks this way? Okay. Contentions will cease when we seek the Lord in the church and cease from the fear of man. Acknowledge the authority then of John, and you'll see that the authority of Jesus is the same. It's divine. Believe the gospel because it is divine, because all authority is behind the gospel message. All authority, despite so many shadowing, so many typical, so many uh, ornamental, beautiful representations of God's kingdom and the temple and all that, those are just but shadows. The essence is Christ. We must be careful, my friends, that we not be entrapped with former religion and extern externalities. Now, I love a, a beautiful sanctuary to meet or auditorium, as you would. It's all very good. But when we get aesthetics ahead of biblical principle in worship, then we are surely deceived. God is not interested in us manufacturing any beauty. He has all beauty of himself. What he wants is our hearts to be his, and obedience is better than sacrifice. Do not seek the praise of men. Acknowledge the authority of all things divine. Jesus' gospel, repent, be baptized. And that, that is what the scripture has commanded. At the start of Matthew, that's what Jesus is still saying. Repent and believe for the remission of your sins. What is the conclusion then of our, of our sermon here? No man conferred ministerial authority upon Jesus. Jesus' ministerial authority came from God, as did John the Baptist. If one had received John's message, he would have received Jesus' message. Now, I've already, give you, I've already given you an admonishment about formal external religion. It is very commonplace, especially among Churches that are so naive as to say, no, we don't have any ritual. No, we don't have any literature. We don't have any, no, we don't even have a bulletin. Those are the ones that need to be most examined. And those are the churches that need to be most critical and search their hearts because perhaps they're more, more vestiges of the flesh and more shadowy representations of the kingdom than they may even know. Beware of mere traditions of men, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Understand then how God ordinarily vests authority in Christ's church. That's in the background. 
No, you say, well, I'm looking for something extraordinary, Jesus himself. I, I, I believe in Jesus, and, if, and in fact, I'm going to read the, 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 the red letter words here, because those are Jesus, those are the best words in my Bible, the red letter words. Jesus has ordained all of the words of all of the Bible. And he, in that Bible, has described the government for, for his people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Authority is from God. All authority is from God. The law of God, which will be preached, hopefully, God wills, uh, this evening as we begin uh, to, to advance into from Exodus 19 into Exodus 20, uh, will speak there in the fifth commandment about the necessity of honoring our father and mother. Uh, but not just externally, but because the law is spiritual, it has to be a, a love of sincerity. We are to love those that are in our authority out of sincerity. Because God is spirit and his law is spiritual and it, and, and it penetrates through the externals to the very heart. And so we are to love Jesus from the heart because he has all authority and we are to love every authority under God's blue sky because he has commanded us to do it. And spiritually and sincerely. Now, wow, what a teaching for America. What a teaching for we who are so quick to criticize anybody, blue or red, and that does carry into the church, my friends. That carries into your family. That, that may explain why your children are far, far removed at heart from even yourselves. Understand, though, how God ordinarily invests authority. And don't usurp authority in the church. Don't, don't go assuming that you can do something here apart from the, the elder's supervision. This is not the elder's church. It's Christ's church, but Christ has vested authority in the eldership. Don't assume that this is your church. It's not your church. Do not usurp authority in the church. It's not given to you. You're not, one, you're not the one who died for this church with your own blood. It's Christ. He purchased this church. And he must be listened to, and whatever he ordains ordinarily for this government must be paid attention to. Now, above all, then, you need to exalt Christ over all things in the church. You are to do all things for his sake and for his great name. You know, he is the one, the cornerstone that, that came, but, but he's a stone of stumbling to these leaders, and he was a stone that would be rejected. But to, to us, he's lovely. He is the chief cornerstone. He, he is the one where the temple and all things meet and fit perfectly. All the revealed of, uh, word of God makes perfect sense in harmony and proportion in Christ. And it's no wonder that people read the Bible and are confused. They, they, they fragment it. They, it's in pieces. They can't make sense of this. Everything's in discord. They don't see the Bible and they don't read the Bible as it is in Christ. Because he, my friends, is the one who gives all prophecy meaning. It was Christ in the ancient prophets speaking in his word as it was penned. Now believe, my friends, the gospel of peace. Christ did not come intending to bring great contentions. He brings a sword only because men are so rebellious. He, he is the prince of peace. And he would not have contentions with you. He would have all wars to cease. 
including the war of your own heart and your own heart's rebellion against God. And so, my friends, you must first of all admit, and I picked this up recently from one of my Facebook friends, the first thing you need to admit is that you're your own worst enemy. There's nobody keeping you from the kingdom of God or becoming more holy but you. Please don't blame your elders. Please don't blame your wife. Don't blame your naughty children. Don't blame your pastor, please. You're your, you're your worst enemy. But God would have Christ be your best friend. And he would reconcile all things and forgive you and grant you a title righteous before his eyes, everlastingly so, and a son in his house just by his favor. If you will just believe John the Baptist and Jesus as they spoke with all authority. That's the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will utterly be saved. You and your household. Let's pray. Lord, we are abashed when we see human flesh and blood strive to their own demise and not receiving the gift of salvation in Christ. And we are astonished that these are purportedly the best men in Israel, the most educated, the most privileged, the most consecrated, at least outwardly. We pray that we would learn the lessons and receive the, the warnings of this text and be sure to give Christ the preeminence in all things and, Lord, to obey whatever he has ordained in heaven and on earth, in the civil governments and in the church governments. Whatsoever, Lord, from the heart, let us keep in step with your spirit. Believe in the Lord Jesus and exalt his holy name. And Lord, we rest on your promise as you are faithful that you will deliver us from all our enemies. And that includes delivering us from ourselves. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's have an offering, please.
is God from whom all blessing flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, all the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And Lord, we do bow before you as our heavenly King, and we give you tribute as befits a king. We give you our hearts first, and we give you our worship in these tithes and offerings. Bless the giver, bless the, bless the gift. And may, Lord, may this money be used to publish glad news, glad news of peace on earth, goodwill among men to all who believe in your gift of Christ. We believe, Lord, that you will do this, and we praise you and give you thanks through Jesus. Amen. Why do dental nations rage? Why is, why is the world all ablaze with hatred? Let's sing 2D.